I'm Charlie Melcher, founder and director of The Future of Storytelling, and I'm so delighted to welcome you to another episode of the FOST podcast. On the last day of 2020, I was struggling, as so many of us were, with the intense emotions that accompanied the close of what will, with any luck, be the worst year in modern history. That morning, as I was making coffee and scanning the internet, I stumbled across a video entitled, For the Sake of Old Times. I highly recommend that you watch it. The video offers a moving tribute to the pain and loss of 2020, but stresses the importance of honoring and holding dear the memories of a year that many of us are eager to forget. As I watched it, I found myself standing there in my kitchen, crying. The film had unleashed a torrent of emotions that I realized I had kept bottled up like a jar of pennies. As a firm believer in the power of stories, I take notice when a story moves me so deeply. On New Year's Day, I sent the video to my entire staff, along with wishes and blessings for a better year ahead. And then I called the video's director and invited him to join me on this show. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Tyler Jones of the production company 1504, based in Birmingham, Alabama, onto the Future of Storytelling podcast. I'm also delighted to welcome T. Murray King, an activist, facilitator, and community organizer who consulted with 1504 to help craft the message and tone of the film. T. Marie and Tyler, I'm so excited to have you both here today. Thank you for joining me on the Future of Storytelling podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. So let me start by asking you, how was your 2020? The word that has come up to me a lot in thinking about 2020 or when I was in it was the word weary. I felt weary a lot, but at the same time, I felt moments of just great joy. On March 17th, um, my daughter was born. Congratulations. That's beautiful. Thank you. So that was the, that was the through line of the year. When we went into the hospital and when we came out, that was sort of when the world changed. They, they stopped allowing visitors while we were in the hospital and our little family's life got disrupted at the same time the, the entire world's lives were disrupted. I also got COVID in October. Wow. Thankfully, I didn't pass it on to my, to my daughter. Um, and so I lived in my basement for two weeks and it was a hard year. T. Marie, how about you? Because I do a lot of work around racial justice, <laughs> my Facebook and Instagram, all of that kind of blew up. Um, and people were looking for somebody to help them process what was going on in the world. You know, once we shut down, we heard about Ahmaud Arbery. And then it was Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd. And so all of that back to back, people didn't know what to do with the feelings and the emotions and what they were getting from the media. They didn't know how to process it. So, you know, I, I became very busy. So me thinking, oh, pandemic, I should be able to slow down a little bit. I actually ramped up and ended up doing 86 virtual talks and panels over the year. Glad that people were willing to have the conversation, but sad that we were still having to have the conversation. 
And so for me, um, I did get an opportunity to talk to a lot of students. Um, so that made me hopeful that these young people in late elementary and middle school are seeing the same things we're seeing. And they're wondering, why are we still dealing with this? Why haven't these adults <laughs> fixed these issues? Um, so it was hopeful for me being able to hear these younger generations um, what they want to see and what they hope to do when they're adults. Well, I'll tell you that my 2020 was one of the most difficult years that I think I've ever lived through. And I had it relatively good, right? Because I, I didn't get COVID and I'm not a frontline worker. I could work from home and I had many, many, many blessings. But having to have your whole life so disrupted, having to live in in quarantine, just watching the, the terrible tragedies happening all around the globe. It, it was a year, I have to say, that when it came to an end, my feeling was good riddance. <laughs> Let's close the chapter on that or door on that year and uh, never think about it again until I saw your video on New Year's Day and was so moved by it. And so I wanted to ask you, Tyler, how, how did that idea come about uh, what was the inspiration for for making that beautiful film? Yeah, so it, it kind of goes back to May 31st of 2020. There was a, a rally for justice and peace here in Birmingham, Alabama, where my studio is based. So the rally was held in Kelly Ingram Park, which is the historic park where um, protests were organized during the civil rights movement. It's right across from the 16th Street Baptist Church and the civil, Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. But nearby is Lynn Park. It's right between City Hall and the, and the courthouse. When you approach the park, there was this 52-foot um, tall obelisk uh, memorializing the, the Confederacy. And so um, tensions were very high that night and people tried to tear down this this monument the mayor Randall Woodfin came and, and basically pleaded with the people gathered and said let me finish the job let me give me a day or two to, to take this down and so the city removed it um, the following day and a few months later the sort of idea formulated to in some ways acknowledge the year not only the, the work around racial justice, but just the weight of the year. This film is a memory film. And so it was, it was our own sort of silent protest or quiet protest to work with some community singers to re, reinterpret the song Old Lang Syne into the short film, which is called For the Sake of Old Times. It's been a, a way to reflect on the year and, and the grief and trauma that so many folks have gone through, but also encourage not rushing ahead, but to kind of sit in the tension of the year. So in the film, it starts with a single young boy singing in a church. So help just describe the process of thinking through how you wanted to bring that song to life. We filmed this in a historic church that during the civil rights movement refused, publicly refused to seat any African-American visitors. And so the film primarily depicts all of these singers seated. We had 18 different community singers, black singers who had never sung together before. These are members of the community coming together and they're seated in, in this 
this historic church. And we open on an 11-year-old named Jackson. He starts the song, and his mother is, is the second singer in the piece. And, you know, I sort of learned after the fact that um, he's 11 years old, which is the same age as the youngest person who died in the 1963 church bombing here in Birmingham. And uh, that, was, that was brought to my attention by one of the other community singers, the oldest singer of the group. She was classmates with um, some of those girls who died in the bombing. Old Lang Syne is such a nostalgic song, and it's a song that we usually sing in company looking ahead to the future with, with a, a lot of optimism. And we felt like slowing it down and bringing it, bringing it into a bit more of a somber context would be a useful way to interrogate what does nostalgia look like? Um, can we really be nostalgic about 2020? How do we sort of sort through what's worth leaving behind and what's worth taking, you know, taking forward? To Marie, how, how important is memory and remembering history uh, in the work that you do in social justice and reconciliation? and It is it's central, really the, the heart of the work. Because I think what people forget sometimes is, you know, we want to get past the, the, the bad stuff, but we also have to remember what got us here. You know, so in a lot of my trainings that I lead, I always start with history. I say, let's be honest about how we got here. And I always try to point people back to, let's be honest about how we got here so that we can work our way towards solutions. And even speaking to the issue with the monument within Lynn Park here in Birmingham, Lynn Park is actually the location of the first documented lynching in Jefferson County. And a lot of people didn't know that. I think some people had forgotten or, you know, let's get rid of that information. You know, we saw that with Tulsa, with Black Wall Street. Let's just try to eliminate that memory. So we have to have these hard conversations and make sure history is a part of how we accurately remember um, how we got here. This film has a lot of history of this year, or recent history, right? It, 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 you've made choices about the things that we should remember or be reminded of. Um, from this year, which was so filled with truly unbelievable things or once-in-a-hundred-year things, or, uh, like a pandemic. How did you make the decisions about which, which things to focus on and what are some of your, your favorite ones? And, and that's for both of you as a question. I'll credit T. Marie for her help in that. You know, She's been a trusted friend and a collaborator of our studio here in the local community. And she encouraged us to broaden the archival footage a little bit, include imagery of frontline workers and folks in the voting lines. And so I think that was a, um, an important piece to include to make the film a little bit more accessible. I'm the type of person that likes to tell the whole story is kind of how I look at it. If we're going to tell it, you know, tell it all. You know, it's what my mother used to say. <laughs> when we say tell it all, that way I know what I'm dealing with. I would say the image that stood out the most to me, the two were, ironically, that young man, you know, of seeing him in the beginning and then also seeing him singularly alone walking out. And I think we all do that. We all individually walk into the world and we have to decide what we're going to do. Uh, and so that's what stuck out the most to me was that young man. Yeah, it's very powerful. He, he really represents hope, the future, a new beginning, a new world. Absolutely. 
Let's take a minute and talk a little bit more about the music. You wanted to create a message. You wanted to, to have a, a monument or a memorial or a way to remember this last year. And you chose that song. How did you decide to choose that one? And then how did you go about sort of rearranging it? Even though it's not a religious song, I like sort of framing it within a um, spiritual or gospel tradition. For me, I think of it as, as sort of a, a white song. And the sort of appropriation of that by these black singers was interesting to me. There's a phrase in the song that talks about a cup of kindness. And I've returned to this idea of kindness a lot. Um, I definitely don't want the reflection or the takeaway to be a sort of passive form of kindness <laughs> or a kumbaya kindness. I'm interested in more of the, the active and, and the radical empathy that actually gets us up and gets us out, gets us connected. And so for me, that's what, that's what the song sort of conjures up when I think about kindness in, in relation to it. I definitely had the feeling as I was listening to it that it was like a wake. That was the word that came to me. It was a, there was a, a note of mourning, whether those were individual lives of people who were murdered by police officers or um, hundreds of thousands who died from COVID. But it also was very hopeful at the same time in the same way that maybe one's life, what we celebrate lives at funerals and at wakes. And, and they're not meant to just be sad. They're meant to be a celebration and a moment to remember. To your point, in, in the black community, you know, you're either going to a funeral or you're going to a homegoing celebration. And there's a real thin line that divides that. And usually what it is is how the people remember. And so I think what it really gives us is that hope of let's take the lessons Let's move forward. I love the shot of the mirror of John Lewis. You know, we lost him in 2020 and uh, C.T. Vivian also and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, we lost so many champions. And so it's almost like that passing of the torch. You know, we have to all run our portion of the race. And I think this film really kind of symbolizes in that song almost a passing of the baton of now it's time for us to go the next distance. What role do you see storytellers playing here? I'd love to kind of put that one to you, T. Marie, and, and kind of get a, um, an angle on, you know, storytelling, but also education. You know, the way, the way our, our myths have been shared and our histories have been told have, have been so whitewashed. How does the story get broadened? How does it get reclaimed? How does it get rewritten? Absolutely. I think it's a combination because I think with storytelling, you can amplify with storytelling, you can highlight. With storytelling, um, you can bring truth and even reimagine. I think highlighting the things that we need to highlight, like, you know, this thing that is not so good looking over here um, happened um, and it's real, but we're not doing that anymore. I worked with a group who does um, dance and they were using songs that were very outdated and should not be used anymore. Many of these songs have been pulled from the old Jim Crow minstrels. You know, any, many, miny, mo, catcher is not a tiger. Okay. And so to them, it's like, oh, well, these kids don't know what that means. And yeah, but you know where it means. You know the history of it. So instead of trying to 
wash, whitewash it in a way. Let's just not do that. Why can't we rewrite new songs or write new songs? Um, so I think the role of storytelling is educating, leading with truth and honesty, amplifying the stories that we don't always hear and highlighting those folks who may not get the shine. You know, our indigenous communities across our nation, you know, they're still fighting for their land and for the acknowledgement. You know, when we look at the Hispanic community and their fight that they're dealing with, but also highlighting, you know, people who may have different gender identities, you know, and how they show up in the world, but then allowing people to amplify their voices. Thank you for saying that. I think that the, the word truth stands out. <laughs> it also is a frustrating word right now. As a white filmmaker, I have been guilty of wanting to hurry to the healing or sort of skip truth or sort of rush to reconciliation too quickly. You can't, you can't rush through that. And so how do we agree on truth? You know, when, when truth is, is, seems to be under attack, whose truth is being told? I think about the, the role and the limits of art in truth-telling. So yeah, it can be a microphone. It can be a way to amplify. But when truth is um, under attack, um, it's, it's very troubling. There's certainly a school that says that it's the artists and the storytellers who are able to get people to feel something more powerfully, basically to get something that's closer to truth. Uh, than facts. Would you agree with that? Do you, do you believe that, that we have, we as storytellers have a role to play in getting people to understand things because uh, we have such powerful tools? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we see it in so many avenues because one thing I do, I'm always giving people recommendations. You know, I'm either suggesting a podcast or a film or something of that nature. So, okay, we've had this discussion about you know, justice and equity. And I see you're still teetering <laughs> on the line because your experience is not necessarily my experience. That doesn't make both of us wrong, though. And so giving people something else to say, are you a movie watcher? Oh, yeah, I watch a movie. Okay, why don't you check out 13th? You know, why don't you watch When They See Us? You know, watch American Son. And then reach back out and let's have a deeper conversation about what we talked about. And hopefully you'll get a, a understanding. You know, I thought about as you were speaking, um, when Childish Gambino, you know, released his video, This Is America. I had friends that are white that were like, you know, T, I don't get this. I was like, oh, I get it fully. <laughs> let's have a conversation about it. You know, but it's sometimes you can tell or share things that may be going over people's heads, not because they're trying to ignore, but because they lack the exposure to different communities. Yeah, we don't have enough common experience. Exactly. Right? And that, that's something that, that uh, a story can do, is to help us have a shared experience. Exactly. And I heard somebody say one time, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And so I think, you know, the more we can put stories out in different forms, I think the closer we can bring our, our communities and our, and our nation together. Something I thought of as I was hearing you both just speak is uh, about not rushing to reconciliation is the role of listening. I think often as storytellers, we want to be the ones with the mic and we want to be the ones talking or telling as opposed to listening. 
And I just had that sense of the important role that's needed now to be story listeners. Absolutely. And listening is not as easy as it sounds. (laughs) When you're dealing with issues, whether it's around police brutality, whether you're dealing with political issues and difference, or, you know, there would be people that would debate and argue what happened at the Capitol for years to come, you know, and to actually sit and actually take in what somebody else is saying takes discipline. It takes discipline. It takes humility, but also takes empathy. And the role of empathy is being able to put yourself in the place of someone else. And what empathy teaches us to do is to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes from their frame of reference. So I'm not looking at you did this and I'm looking from how I would respond. But now I'm looking at the access, the resource and the knowledge you have and why you responded your way. And that's where we that's where that's that listening piece becomes difficult, because now I got to listen with different ears and a different vantage point sort of unpacking what empathy is and how it's programmed and how it's achieved is is fascinating to me. And I think that stories are this powerful tool for empathy building. As storytellers, it's it's just critical that we acknowledge that if, if we do have the mic or if we are holding a camera, we are in a position of privilege. And those tools have to be used responsibly. So how are we creating more access but at the same time, um, telling stories that build empathy. And I think that one of the reasons that this short film has maybe resonated is that it is, it is singing. There's something about music, I think, that is so uh, biological as well. And then, um, you know, you're hearing people interpret through song. So the singers, in a way, are the interpreters. And they're bringing their own lived experience and their own literal voices to it. My hope was to get out of the way as much as possible of that exchange. anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to address, either of you? I I would love to ask a question of T. Marie. (laughs) I'd be curious to hear from your perspective what what the role of memory or storytelling as it's passed through the generations today when we think about the story of civil rights in America. And then even looking ahead to this year and the future, um, what happens next? When I think about communal memory, oral stories that are passed down. To, for me and my work is very anchoring. You know, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, but my family is from the Lowndes County, Montgomery area. And if you know anything about Lowndes County was once known as Bloody Lowndes. I've heard stories from my family of different people. You know, I even have a great uncle who was killed by the Klan in Lowndes County. These folks were, you know, marching for voting rights and things of that nature. The trauma is something that I think we have to be intentional in working through. Um, It's very difficult to show up consistently and things are not moving as fast, especially when you're an organizer or an activist and you're really trying to, you know, beat the pavement and get the information out there. And people are either not taking to it or they're rejecting it. But I think it's definitely important that we understand the importance of historical memory, communal memory. 
um, so that we can work towards that truth. I, I see your work as, in some ways, as a translator. <laughs> um, and you've been a useful translator for me. And I think it's important for um, creators, especially white creators like myself, to, to self-scrutinize and to be really reflective over how we, how we use our platform. And you've been helpful Oh, I, I, that means so much. It really does, because I don't always feel like people get it. <laughs> um, but I try to operate from my heart, like the work that I do, the projects that I get involved in, I truly care about them. This conversation being centered on storytelling is is important. And I think it's one of the ways that um, the future of storytelling has been really valuable <laughs> for folks like myself to um, to kind of help us stay centered on what is the, the transformational power of, 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 of story and of this medium. At the end of the day, I do believe that we are, we are all trying to be more empathetic and become more communal and become more proximate. And I think that, um, that FOST has helped nurture that. And, and, you know, I want to thank you as well, Charlie, for that. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate both of you sharing your stories, your wisdom, helping us to navigate through such a traumatic time uh, in our country and in our, in our, around the world, and really just the message of us having to not forget, right? The message of us being able to uh, honor the past, to learn from it, um, and to take it with us moving forward into the light. So thank you both so much for joining me today. It's really a pleasure and honor. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. My sincerest thanks to both Tyler and T. Marie for this honest and thoughtful conversation. You can find a link to watch the video for the sake of old times, as well as learn more about both of today's guests by visiting this episode's page on the Future of Storytelling website at fost.org or by following the link in the episode's description. Thank you for listening to the Future of Storytelling podcast, produced in partnership with our talented friends at Charts and Leisure. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share us with a friend. I hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please stay safe, be strong, and story on.